I try to make sure I leave my phone down there and it's signed silent, like everybody else's is right now, right? Uh, but I, uh, I needed to bring it with me today because I want to show you something. But uh, before I do, um, thank you guys for leading us in worship, all of you, the team. I say, yeah. So um, it's good to be in God's house with you. It's amazing. I love you guys. So great to worship with you. It's fun to listen as God moves in, in our midst and all that he does and uh, just to, to be able to worship and celebrate him. There's a table here for your springboard donations. You should have got a push on that and some different things letting you know about that. Some other stuff that's going on, but also I want to ask you accountability questions because we've let you slide for a few weeks. Have you been spending time in God's word this week? You know what he's telling you about? Yes. Are you doing it? Yes. So none of those are my normal accountability questions. You know that, right? Yes. It's all about obedience to what the Word of God says. That's what everything is all about, okay? Yes. Have you been spending time alone with God with no agenda? Yes. All right. So I'm going to just go to this right here. Two weeks ago, I came up here. I had no plans to bring chains with me, and I um, just when we were worshiping, God, you go get those chains in that back room, put it on. God was talking to us, right? So I brought this chain back today for a reason. It's been two weeks, and some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, I know, because we can't remember this morning. But two weeks ago, I wore chains up here, and talking about how God sets us free, right? So... Um, we have, and I'm grateful for all of our online people that are joining us, not only here live, but online as well. And uh, last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, I got a text from my, uh, one of my nieces, and she sent me this little message that I'm going to show you up here on the screen for a second. Um, I'm going to have my brothers here running. He's going to zoom out on camera, so I want you to see this. Do you see that little boy with the chain around his neck? Now, listen to me, man. That that took place on Sunday. This happened on Saturday, six days later. He comes out through his mom with the chain around his neck, and he began to tell her the message that I preached about that chain. Yeah. (laughs) When I... um, When I watched that, man, it just like broke me down. I'm like, oh, God, man. He's a little child. He's five years old. Six days later, he's telling her what Jesus can do for you just from that simple little thing. And I'm like, Lord, you know how, you know, what Justin was just talking about. Sometimes we as adults in our faith and as we walk with Jesus, we're, we're struggling to believe God's going to get us over the next issue that we're facing in our life. And, you know, here it is. Um, I'm not going to play it for you because you won't be able to hear it. But the little guy is telling the conclusion of the message on the video right there about that. And he took the chains off and threw them on the ground. And I'm just, yeah. I was so blown away and blessed by, you know, just that little thing that God can speak into our hearts. I want you to know today that God wants to speak into your heart his word that will impact you and stay with you. You may not remember a word that I say to you or anything. It doesn't matter. What you need to hear is what God's saying to you in your heart through his word as we speak his word today. You notice today, I'm sure, throughout those messages uh, of the songs, they're the messages as well as we worship together, 
There were words of setting you free, being free, overcoming, the chains being broken and dropping them and all those things that we were singing about. The fact that God is moving. God is moving. And He is not intimidated by anything that is in this world. He is not. He's not worried about anything. He is God and He's amazing. Let me pray with you. Father, we just give ourselves to you once again. For Lord, it is only you that can do what only you can do. We've acknowledged that today, God, and we are again as we look to you as our only hope. God, give us that touch that you need to give us today and open up our ears, our hearts, and our minds to receive the message that you have for us. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so in two weeks it's going to be Easter, right? And so as we're preparing and going into this amazing celebration of the greatest day in the history of the world, bar none, that God is amazing. He's so good, man. You know, we're going we're gonna to launch our 11 o'clock service on Easter Sunday, so I want you to make sure, yeah, we're going to start that up in person. So it's going to take a little commitment from y'all, and you've gotten those messages and stuff, and so we want you to do that. We're going to have baptism next week, Easter the following week, and then we're going to dedicate some babies today. And uh, Gwendolyn just walked in the back back here, and uh, I, I'm so proud of her, and y'all should be too. And She was baptized a few weeks ago, and God has been transforming and restoring her life. And so today she's bringing her five kids with her to church that have been... <laughs> God restoring the family. This is what God does when we let go of the stuff that we've been trying to fix our problems with and find out that Jesus is the answer and we attach ourselves to Him. He will restore and renew. And so she has her kids with us and she's been given that restoration from God in her life. And we're so proud of you. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Leviticus chapter 17. We don't read a lot of uh, verses out of Leviticus, right? And if any native Israelite or foreigner living among you goes hunting and kills an animal or bird that is approved for eating, he must drain its blood and cover it with the earth. The life of every creature is in its blood. That is why I've said to the people of Israel, you must never eat or drink blood. For the life of any creature is in its blood. So whoever consumes blood will be cut off from the community. All right, that's kind of a weird verse to read right now, isn't it? It's not really when you look at it. So God's establishing something that he established in the very beginning when he told Adam and Eve that if you sin, you're going to die. And if you remember there, as we read that just a few weeks back, and we read in the scriptures and you know what God did, God himself killed an animal and took the skins of that animal to cover Adam and Eve because God said sin brings death. Therefore, what Adam and Eve did trying to cover themselves with fig leaves, God said that doesn't work. Sin is death and blood must be spilt for life is in the blood. So life, see God's law has always been. Now don't misinterpret this. Understand this though. Life for life. God's, that's God's law. Life for life. Therefore, when God said sin brings death and it's in the blood, there had to be bloodshed to restore life. 
the way it is. And so God's saying, you don't drink this stuff, you don't touch this stuff. When you kill an animal, you drain it out, and then you cover it. It's important because, see, what God's showing us is what life is, and He's teaching His people to reveal to us what God is all about in the fact of restoration, deliverance, and the giving of life. Life is a gift. It is a gift from God that you and I have little to no control over. In the sacrificial system that God established through Moses, I know a lot of people, they, when I talk to them about church, they're like, oh, I don't like organized religion. Well, I, I want you to know that a lot of churches aren't as organized as people think, but God is. God is. God is very organized in his religious practices for his people. He was very systematic and demanding of his people. And in the sacrificial system that he established, he told Moses to let the priests know, which is why it's in Leviticus, the Levitical priesthood. This is what you do with the blood during certain sacrifices and different things that are going on. And most of the time when God had them have a sacrifice, they would catch the blood of the animal and it would be poured and or sprinkled in different locations according to what sacrifice it was about. So, Moses is leading the children of Israel towards the promised land. They're in the Exodus. God has been meeting with Moses and giving him directions for the people. God tells Moses, listen, I want you to tell the people to gather together. This occasion I'm talking about is when God was going to speak to the people. It freaked them all out, right? But they were getting ready for that moment. Moses says, God's going to talk to you. There's some things he requires of you to get ready for tomorrow. And so God spoke to Moses what the people were to do prior to the moment that they would meet with God. Remember, this is prior to the Holy Spirit. So God could not live in anyone, but he was always present. But this was going to be a personal encounter like they've never experienced before. So God tells Moses, bring the people together. I want you to know, church, that God is all about the assembly of his people. Amen. I have a lot of people tell me, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I said, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You need Jesus to be a Christian. But after you're a Christian, you need to go to church. Amen. That assembly is critical to our lives. God's word teaches it to us. But listen to what he says here in Exodus 24, verse 3. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice. Here it is, unity in the body. They hear God's instructions. This is what they said. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. That's awesome. They were like, we hear you. We understand. We're in. So that was the instructions for how they were to conduct themselves the day before, preparing themselves to come and meet with God. So now, the people saying, we're going to do it, whatever God says. Then Moses tells them, here's the, the gathering plan. This is when we're assembling together. You ready? Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions, and early the next morning, Moses got up, built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. And again, they all responded. 
We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Listen, he read the entire law of God to them. Some people think, you know, hey, it's 1035. When are you going to be done here? (laughs) He read the entire law of God to them. And they heard everything God expected of them. And they said, we're in. We'll do it. The blood was sprinkled as a testament of the obedience to God in every aspect of God's demands. The people said they would obey both times and the blood was splattered as a commitment from the people to God for what God demanded and the blood was a call for the obedience to God by people. See, there was life being paid for that moment where they would be with God. As we go on then, Jesus is in the new covenant. He's coming to introduce the new covenant to his people, to God's people, to the world. And as Jesus does this, he comes as God's final sacrifice. No more sacrificial system needed. All those sacrifices are complete in Christ. And he says so, but listen to this. This is what he does here with the blood. Jesus says that his blood is something significant for us. And I read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In the same way, he took the cup of the wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Now there's two significant statements that Jesus made about the blood. He said it is the new covenant between God and his people. And the reason he said that is the old covenant could not remove sin. It simply splattered the blood on it to say to God, there has been a life given. Don't look at our sin. Now Jesus says something new is about to happen. (laughs) He says there's a new covenant coming out. And this one has something more to it than that other one. It is the removal of your sin. (laughs) This is the word of God, an agreement. Do you see that? It says this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. So you remember the altar as Moses did this. When that blood was shed, the people were coming in agreement to what God said and that they would obey Him. Jesus says now there's a new covenant and God's people are coming into agreement with that new covenant. This thing that Jesus is doing for us is confirmed with His blood. Man, God is so amazing, isn't He? See, God provided this access and a relation with him through Jesus Christ that meets his own law and demand. Life for a life. So when God said, I give my life for you, now I expect a life in return. It's not a one-way street, folks. Nothing has changed in who God is. He is changeless. God demands a life for a life. Therefore, when he gave his life for us, he's saying, I want your life back. So it's not just that God's given out free tickets because he gave his life for us. He's offering a relationship that is asking us to, in return, give our lives back to him. It's demanded of us. 
See, it is this holy God that demands life that we're gathered to worship today. When you, as you grow in your faith and as you study God's word, I tell everybody that's a new believer, don't read the Old Testament yet. It'll confuse you. It will. It's true. A new believer that doesn't know God's word should not read the Old Testament yet. It's not that you shouldn't read it. Just not yet. We start in in books like John or Colossians or Ephesians, those books like James that are simple for us to understand and that they teach us what this relationship with God is all about. But as you walk with God and you begin to see this amazing thing that He's done for us in, in giving us this relationship with Him, and you begin to look at the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, and then you see how the law was laid out by God and fulfilled in Christ, and the, the Old Testament is just this glorious mirror of God that teaches you and I that no human being could have ever written that Bible to show what it does over 2,000 years of writing from various authors in different places to put together God's perfect plan of redemption for you and I, it's totally impossible for humans to do something like that. It is. You all know this, man. By the time you watch, let's see, like, um, let's see, where are we at here? Um, Any one of these sequels, I won't even tell you a name of one. People, they make a movie and it goes big, so then they make two or three more. By the third one, you're like, what are they doing? Right? And why did they do this? They ruined the whole thing, right? That's what we do when we try and make up stories. God's story is perfect. And it continues to unfold, and it will continue to unfold into the future. As God Himself is the author. He's amazing. Listen to this. The book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. And this is what the the writer of Hebrews does. This is by the Holy Spirit. But he's showing those who were raised in the law how it is fulfilled in Christ in every way. The book of Hebrews is beautiful, but you need to have an understanding of the Old Testament to get it. So I read you the sacrificial like moment of the blood and the sprinkling and how that came into a being of us coming into agreement to obey God's word, right? So we read that little minor thing in there. It's not minor, but I'm saying a little portion of that. Now, as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, this gives this expansion of that very moment in such an amazing way. Here you go. Verse 19, Hebrews 10. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. All right, so pause for a minute. When God established the covenant, remember, there was a, the the tabernacle was designed with an outer court, which is the only place people could come into. No one could come into the house of God except the priests. That's how serious God is about sin and blood and sacrifice. So there was the holy place, which would be the place you're sitting right now in our design. And then there was the most holy place, which is here in the presence of God. You know, that's why we design churches like we do today. It's like the holy place and the most holy place. If you raised in the church, you know, people were really serious about people not getting on the platform, not letting kids play up here or anything because it was in the heart of people to see that that was like the most holy place. 
That's what the idea is, just so you understand. So God's design was this way. So between the holy place and the most holy place, there was that curtain that hung. And the priest could come into this area where the Ark of the Covenant was and the Ten Commandments were. And they could only come in there one day a year and it could only be the high priest serving that year that came in with the blood of the Lamb of Atonement. So he comes through the curtain. They got the rope tied on him. He's got bells on the bottom of his robe because if he had sin in his life and he didn't offer the required sacrifice ahead of time, God killed him. God's serious about sin, folks. The priest comes in and they got this rope all the way outside so if they don't hear any bells ringing, they start dragging. Pull him out. Because if they went in there, they'd die. This is how serious God is. So they walk behind the curtain, sprinkle the blood, put it on the altar. Yeah, God, the blood of the covenant. One time a year, the Day of Atonement, right? So here you go. This is the picture that we're seeing now. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we, God opened this door. Do you know when Jesus died, how the Scriptures tell us that the veil in the temple tore from the top to the bottom? The holy place, the most holy place was no longer confined to specific priests but that God was accessible by all people because of what Jesus did for us. This is the new covenant. You no longer need a priest or a pastor or anybody else to intercede for you. God has invited all people into a personal relationship with Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God's Word says, brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We don't have to come trembling and fearful like, God, please don't strike me dead. Because of Jesus, we can walk right into the presence of the creator of the universe. And he welcomes us. That's amazing. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Man, let that sink in. Isn't that awesome? A new and life-giving, not life-taking. Did you hear that? A new life-giving way. See, before we were still dead in our sin. Now God has restored life in us. Because of what Jesus did, you and I have life. We have life to the full. Jesus said, I've come that you might have abundant life. Full life. Real life. Alive within yourself, no longer dead to and from sin or in sin, but you have been given a new way, a new life because of Jesus Christ. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Man, yeah. Isn't that awesome? We should spend a lot of time clapping today. I mean, God is amazing. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord's return is drawing near. All right, look, this is God's word, folks. This is not a depression moment. This is an encouraging, challenging moment for everybody. 
God's word says this. You need to gather together. You need to assemble and more and more as you see the day of Christ's return. Okay, so the reason I'm bringing that out, well, I'm not, I mean, it's the scriptures, but the reason I want to pause there for a moment before we read on is, um, you know, Gallup polls and all these things that they do with the people by July of last year. So the, this whole COVID crazy stuff started in March. And by July, they began to do surveys of church Christian people. And the drop-off of people that not only attending church, but even watching anything virtually was so dramatic that people were not even assembling virtually. And it's kind of like they just put God out to pasture while they were dealing with crisis in life or whatever. Now, again, I understand we have people, I hate to do these little clauses, but I know there's people watching online that have, you know, physical issues, different things like that. I'm not saying anything to anybody like that. I'm talking about people that quit altogether, not only assembling, but not going online virtually and not even walking in that assembly in any way. The drop-off was incredibly dramatic. People went on with life as if that moment to be with God was not necessary. I want you to know some church, the reason why our culture and our politicians stopped having people gather in church is because they view it as an elective. And I want you to know that a lot of people in our country view it the same way. We view church as an elective, not a necessity. We view church as something we'll do but if there's anything else going on, we'll do that instead. This is not me trying to count numbers in church. I'm looking at God's word. And I'm saying, church, you're going to answer to him, not me. You know, I don't even know. People tell me like, I'm sorry I slept in church. I didn't know you were asleep until you just now confessed it. I don't look at you. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, it's not about me. God's the one that you're going to answer to. And he's called us to this assembly for a reason. Okay. See, God is the most important relationship in your life, bar none. More important than your career, more important than your family, more important than your spouse, more important than anything in life, more important than life itself. We cannot view this thing as an elective that I don't need. You need it. Life is only available through him. I'm going to keep reading here so I don't get hung up. Ready? Dear friends, by the way, before I read this, this isn't about what I was just talking about. This is a section of scripture that a lot of Christians don't read and they don't like it when it's read because we get all nervous about it. You ready? Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Amen. Isn't that scary? Remember we were talking about how serious God is about our life and about sin, about our obedience? When God said the very high priest himself, him and his family, the first thing the priest did before he ever did the atonement sacrifice was to sacrifice a bull for him and his family and put the blood outside on the altar because he had to make sure that his heart was right and his family's heart was right before he ever walked into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. So you see, God is really, really serious. 
And he warned them. And he told Moses, you tell them they're going to die if they don't do things the way I tell you. Do you know what happened to the first, the, 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 the first generation of priests? So Aaron was the first priest established. Two of his sons were killed by God because they did it not according to his ways and lit a fire themselves instead of using God's fire. So not being sarcastic, but like they, they just didn't do it from the altar, so they just got out like a lighter or something and lit the fire. Like, that doesn't matter, it's just fire, you know? No, God struck them dead. And he told Aaron, you will not grieve for them, you will not mourn for them. That is my judgment upon them, and you do not mourn their deaths. Isn't that crazy? Not crazy God, I mean like crazy to think about that God's that serious. Church, God is that serious. And the church of today has not taken God real serious. We just think He's just out there and that He's okay with whatever's going on. He's the same God. He doesn't mess around. He's not playing games with the modern church. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume His enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <laughs> Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things awaiting you, for that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Well, we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Wow, is that awesome or what? Is that convicting or what? See, this this section of Scripture is a lot of times avoided or people are confused. and They're like, Pastor Dave, I don't know what that means, man. I screwed up before and God forgave me. Yes, He did. Thank you, Jesus. There's something specific He's talking about. We have to understand what the Word of God is talking about by the turning away of God and disdaining the Holy Spirit. Don't just take one sentence and begin to build your theology. What God's Word said was, there's no more forgiveness of sins when you have trampled the blood of Christ, turned away and disdained the Holy Spirit. 
So he's saying, you don't even listen anymore. You've willingly said no to God. You tell the Holy Spirit, I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm not listening. I don't want God in my life anymore. I'm finished with all that. I'm over there and I'm out of here. It's deliberately walking away. That's what backsliding is. See, some people forget and they're like, well, I mean, I, I, I heard something in my ear and I had a bad thought today. It's like, okay, first off, temptation is from the enemy trying to get you to act on that and walk away. You ask God to forgive you in that very moment, stand true in His faith, and ask God to help you to grow through that moment and become more Christ-like, right? There's a difference between willful transgression, walking away from God and telling the Holy Spirit to leave you alone, I'm done with you, and making a mistake today. Okay, backsliding is not making a mistake God's not like waiting with an eraser he didn't write your name down in it with pencil and like oh, I heard that you're no longer mine <laughs> no I, I mean sometimes we act like that but then at the other time we think it's written in unerasable ink like I can just go do whatever I want no God's very serious about our obedience did you hear the word of God he's talking about our obedience The only way that name can be removed is when we remove it, not God. We remove our name. That's what backsliding is. It's like, I'm not yours. I'm done with you. I'm finished with this. I don't want nothing to do with you. See, the backsliding is not like, well, what did I, I think I might have screwed up today. Well, first off, you did probably. So let's start there. But it's not one of those things. This word of God is talking about trampling the blood of Christ. It says, if we deliberately continue sinning. It's like when God calls us into this relationship and He's transformed us and it's like, wow, man, God's real and I know Him. And you have that realization and the Holy Spirit bears witness and you're walking with Him. And then you're just going to go out and do your own thing anyway and like, forget that. We've received the knowledge of the truth. See, there's this maturity that God brings into us as we grow in Christ. Okay, so remember this is a deliberate walking away, rejecting God, going back into the life of sin, walking away from the Holy Spirit, disdaining Him. But instead of being afraid and ignoring what this word says to us, um, we need to use the challenge to spur us on to obedience. Right? You know what I mean? Like, I hope that you don't walk out of here like with your head down. You shouldn't. You should walk out of here confident in your walk with God. And the fact that it's not like I'm just, God's waiting for you to screw up any moment. He's not. He's calling us into this amazing relationship with Him. He's called us to a life of obedience. We're not talking about human perfection. Theology and theologians kind of drive me nuts sometimes, you know? Like, we we get into these little debates and we're like, you know, well, you're going to sin... You're not perfect. You're this. You know what God's word says? Be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect. Live like Jesus lived. That's what God's word says, right? So let's stop trying to make excuses for sin and start living in obedience to what God says. And as we live in obedience to what God says, it's different for a kindergartner than it is for a graduate student. All right. So we've been called to live this life of obedience. 
So what are you knowingly doing that God has said not, no to? What are you willingly doing, knowingly doing, that God said no to? Now the good thing is, is that we're no longer under the law where instant judgment comes and you die. Thank you, Jesus. But God is long-suffering and patient toward us. So that as you're dealing with the issues and God is calling you about them and He's trying to bring you into that place of surrender and you're trying to negotiate with Him and y'all do and I have done it too. We're negotiating our way around things and trying to make excuses for ourselves. God's so incredibly patient as He brings this thing up. I want you to know that if God keeps bringing it up, you're losing. (laughs) You are not winning the debate. And God's bringing it up because he's saying, like, it's not your way, it's mine. And you need to repent and just give it up. You'll be way better for it. You will. You'll be free. God does amazing stuff with us when we obey him. All right? All right. So the word of warning in the scripture is reminding people of the holy God we serve. The holy standard that he has set, which is the blood of Christ. And the Lord will judge his own people. I, I... I think sometimes we all think of just the one final judgment where people are going either to heaven or hell, but he does tell us multiple times that we're going to be judged as well. You do know that, right? And, and one of the things we're going to be judged about is, is what we've done for God, the gifts that he's given us, the accountability stuff where, you know, when we ask you on our accountability questions, which I didn't ask today, uh, are you given to God with your time, your talents, and your resources? So God's going to hold us accountable for those things. He does teach us that in his word. So Dave's not asking you because I want you to do something. I'm asking you those questions because God's saying, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Even those of us that have been under the blood of Christ will be held accountable for what we've done. All right. The Lord would judge his own people. Verse 36 says, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. So there's a future hope as well attached to this. So I don't want to, we got to get going. So um, we're going to face some challenges in the not too distant future that the church in the United States has never faced before. We are going to face challenges we've never faced before. Um, That's not just a prophetic word. That's common sense. Look around you. Our culture has rejected God. Our nation has rejected God. We have begun to promote living in obstinance to God in a more belligerent way, and many churches are joining in with that theme and message. Don't have to do what God's Word says. We support stuff that the world supports. Okay, so let's not get hung up there. Let's see something here as we look at this. So as we consider this, I want you to remember the part I read in in Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer is specifically writing to some people that were in that day that he lived in. And this is what he tells us. Those people who said yes to Jesus went through terrible suffering, public ridicule. They were beaten. Some were put in jail. Some lost all their possessions. That happened to the early Christians because they were Christians. Not all of them had this happen to them, but a lot of them did. All you got to do is read the book of Acts and you see it over and over again happening. Now listen, this is what the writer says, you accepted it with joy. This, I, I just feel God wants me to say this, so I, I'm just going to say it because all of us in the church here in the United States 
We've lost nothing. We've benefited by being Christians in this nation. We have. Throughout the history of this nation, if you gave financially to a church, the government allowed you to write that off on your taxes. Seriously, that's not normal. That doesn't happen around the world. Okay, so we've come to expect to live in blessings in this nation. And we've, in some ways, I don't want to make this wrong, but I've seen in some ways, we've come to expect to be the beneficiaries because we're Christians. But many of the early believers suffered because they were Christians and lost possessions, homes, and jobs, and families because they were Christians. Okay? Now, many in the world today, around the globe, are suffering because they're Christians. So, the church of the United States has been blessed. And the reason we've been blessed is not because we're so great, but because we took the name of God and placed it on our nation. We sent missionaries to the world to let them know about Jesus. And I'm not telling you we did it perfectly. I know we didn't. So did God. But you see, God was being lifted up in a way and we were sharing the message of truth with the world. And so God blessed us because of our obedience. Now, this nation no longer has God over it. We've rejected Him. We're promoting things that are contrary to the Word of God. And not only has the nation done it, but many of the churches have followed the nation's role. The church has begun to water down the gospel. They begin trying to include everybody in this thing and just everybody's going to go to heaven. We have embraced the sin of abortion. Many even in the church. Now please don't misunderstand me and please, that is a forgivable thing and God loves you and He will forgive and restore you. I know that. But church, please hear this. The church itself has become silent on the issue of abortion by and large. We've just accepted it. All right? That is not okay. You know, God destroyed nations in the Old Testament because they offered their children as sacrifices. What do you think is going on here? We're offering our children for the benefit of my life. So, the church itself is embracing the LBGTQ community. Now, I want everybody to hear me clearly. Everybody and anybody is welcome to come to this house of God. I want you here. God wants you here. But we also can't water down the Word of God and what He says. God's not okay with that lifestyle because there's something better. It's called God's way. Church, you know, the thing is, is He's not okay with fornication, which is unmarried sexual encounters too. We're, we're quick to condemn their sexual perversion is what we call it while we engage in what we want to do because it's more acceptable because it's heterosexual. It's not. It's a sin. Adultery is a sin. Fornication is a sin. God's called us into this relationship with Him so that we would stand in the truth of who He is. Does He love them? Absolutely He loves them. Do we love them? Absolutely we should love them. I hope there's people here or listening online that are part of that community because they and you need to know God loves you. He loves you. 
The church, just like I'm telling you, God's love doesn't change the fact that He's also righteous and demands a life of obedience to what He says. All of us. Okay, but see, the problem is, is the church has begun to go down this road of denying who God is and what He says. And we've been justifying sin in the life of the world and in ourselves. And in the, in the process of doing this, then we begin to not accept God's word as the authority of what it is. And so we just start dismissing things. And God is a righteous God. And God demands that we know who he is. God will not stand by and allow the blood of Jesus Christ to be mocked and trampled underfoot. He tells us in His Word, and we read it this morning, He will not just stand by and allow the disdain of the Holy Spirit. God says, no, I will hold you accountable. We're in a war for our soul. There is an all-out war for your soul and mine, for our children and our grandchildren. There is a war happening. Church, we need to understand something here. That it's not about political powers and rights and all these kinds of things. It is a matter of spiritual standing with God. We've got to get it right in the church. And we got distracted by that stuff. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. And everyone should vote and do all things like that. But politics should not consume the people of God. And we let it consume us, church. Let's be honest. There is a battle raging for the souls of our friends, our children, our grandchildren, this nation. It is happening. It is raging right now. We cannot be ignorant of these things. God is calling us to something. Verse 38, And my righteous ones will live by faith, and, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. This is God speaking. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Isn't that great? See, there's a word of encouragement for us. Hold fast. Hang on to the truth of God. Live for Him. More than ever in our lifetime, we have to be serious about our faith, church. More than ever in our lifetime, we have to be serious about our faith and be committed to who God is in our life. It is going to be challenged. It's being challenged. That's what temptation is in your life every day. The challenge of who God is in your life. <laughs> I only have one action step and we're out of time for it. So let's do it. You ready? Stand with me. The Holy Spirit is faithful. I have three questions in one. Is there anything you need to repent of? Is there anything you need to confess to? Is there anything you need to step into obedience about? That's it. Altar's open. Answer to God. That's who we answer to. Altar's open. Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, your faithfulness is incredible and we just trust you fully in what you're doing and what you're saying to our hearts today as we read your word. Some things are hard for us to read and hear, God. They are, but it's still your word. It's still who you are. So God, as we come to you today, we thank you that you're a God of mercy and grace. And Lord, that none of us have been struck down the way we've deserved. 
But because of your mercy and grace, you've extended this invitation to step into full obedience in the areas of our life where we need it. God, I pray that we would throw off those chains <laughs> right here at the altar, God, completely. Just throw them off and say yes to you in every area of our life. You are calling us to a life of obedience and we're here to do it. God, we love you. Isn't he amazing? Church, isn't he amazing? He is just reaching out to us in love and he's just saying, here I am. He's so good. Can we just pause and thank him? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you do, God. Thank you for this moment in our lives. Thank you for all those that have heard your Holy Spirit speaking to them right where you, God, have chosen to speak. God, we're here to just say yes. That's all. Yes. Just yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> say yes to Him today. Y'all saying yes? Yes, Lord. Well, let's do it. Let's go out there and, and be that yes in the world, okay? You're dismissed. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You're amazing, Lord. Thank you, God.